A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, your Father who sees in secret, will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. The Word of God for the people of God. This morning we're going to talk about prayer, and before I get into the sermon I have written, I want to say something that is at least as important as anything in here. If you end up at the end of this sermon feeling like, okay, what now? What do I do? How do I get started? What's the way? Come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the other pastors on our staff. Each of us have prayer disciplines that are part of our weekly rhythm of life. Each one of us have resources that we draw upon that we can share with you. And I think most of you would be quite surprised if you found out the number of regular and occasional prayer resources that the congregation has for you all to gather in small groups and pray together. We want you to know about them. I don't mean for this Sunday's sermon to leave you wondering what you are supposed to do next. Please don't hesitate to come and ask. Let us pray. Startle us, O God, with your love, your truth and joy, your challenge and your grace. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In their shared collection of interviews called The Book of Joy, the Dalai Lama and the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu talk about prayer. His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, wakes up each morning at 3 a.m. and begins the day with five hours of meditative prayer. The Archbishop jokes in return that that is too much and is humble about his own daily practice, which starts at 4 a.m. and lasts more like three to four hours. My schedule does not look like either of these. 
Often in the morning, I'm trying hard to grab a few extra minutes before one of our boys comes charging into the room or the alarm goes off to get them to school. Or I've just been up too late the night before trying to get too many things done. But I will tell you this, that most of my best days do begin with prayer. Regularly, if not every day, I am up early and I spend time in prayer. What exactly that looks like changes from one day to the next because I appreciate variety and because, frankly, sometimes in prayer you get bored. Sometimes I'm recounting the names and situations that have been shared with me about your lives. I'm doing what I say when I tell you that I will pray for you. Sometimes I'm in silent meditation, hoping to calm my own stresses a little, and hoping that in some way that I don't expect, God will show up. Sometimes I reflect on Scripture. It could be the one that I'm going to be preaching on the coming Sunday, but often it is a different passage so that I'm not confusing the work I have to do with my own time for prayer. Sometimes I'm not feeling very creative, and I read and seek to reflect on a prayer someone else has written. I don't do any of this because I'm an innovator or because I'm especially holy. There are plenty of pastors out there who I am sure have richer prayer lives than my own. I also know there are others whose prayer life is almost non-existent. But I do think it's sort of a given that a preacher should have some kind of a prayer life. And so I do my best. I don't expect to be perfect in prayer. I don't think that's what God is looking for. But I keep praying. The better question than what my prayer life looks like, I think, is how us talking together about prayer might lead any of you to a richer prayer life. This is a question worth, worth our asking, first of all, because Jesus recommends it, and second of all, because he's right. As I said before, most of my best days begin with prayer. I find it true over and over and over again that when I take time to pray, I enter into the rest of my day wiser and more reflective more patient and understanding of others, better equipped to set priorities in my life and to address the challenges that come to me in a day, and more gracious toward myself when it comes to the many ways I mess up. Prayer is, without a doubt, one of Jesus' keys to a good life. And this morning, I'd like to share with you a few of the things he says about it. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. He does not assume that they know how. And he uses words we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer. Many of us learn this prayer early in childhood. We pray it every week when we come to Reformed worship. Some of us pray it other places as well. So the Lord's Prayer develops the kind of familiarity that can be deeply comforting and that can also be dangerously meaningless if we allow it to become rote. 
volumes have been written about the Lord's Prayer. Today I'm going to lift up just three or four ideas about the prayer I have found to be helpful. And we're going to pray it together. And I believe that the things that I am lifting up for you to think about contribute to this thing we've been calling the good life. The first thing that prayer is supposed to do is arouse in us a sense of awe and wonder. I invite you to take a moment to think about how incredibly important it is to have wonder in your life. Absent any sense of awe and wonder, life is reduced to a series of mundane tasks that have no greater meaning or significance. A job is nothing but a means to a paycheck. Raising children is merely survival and exhaustion. A sunrise is nothing but the ability to see without a flashlight. A life lived with awe and wonder is different and richer in every conceivable way. Helping a child learn to tie his shoes is a witnessing of growth and thriving and an act of love. Work is a chance to activate our gifts and skills for the welfare of others. And not only is the sunrise a daily miracle, but so is the budding flower and the elephant's truck and the crack of the bat and the symphony. These become reasons to get up in the morning and find poetry in the routines of life on earth. So Jesus teaches his disciples to begin prayer with words that remind us of wonder. Our Father, that means our Creator. Our Creator, the one who art in heaven, whose home transcends everything that we have ever seen or imagined, and that will one day be our destination on the other side of life. Our Creator, hallowed be thy name, holy, sacred, pure, venerated, is the very speaking of your name. Prayer reminds us, first, in the very act of getting started, that this is not all there is. And that all that exists here in this life has the pregnant possibility of being invested with meaning, purpose, and joy. A second thing that prayer does is to create connection. Prayer connects us to God, and it connects us to one another. Connection also is vitally important to human life. Several of you have mentioned to me the long-term study that Harvard University has done on happiness. An article has been circulated about this recently. The study has been going on for generations, looking at hundreds of lives, and what creates in those lives joy and what steals joy from us. Not surprisingly, the fundamental key to happiness is connection and relationship. 
being connected to one another and being, taking the time to nurture those connections is far and away the greatest source of human happiness. Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. These are words about relationship. Relationships between us and God, and between us with one another. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want life on earth to look more like the good creation God intended. So in that kind of a life, in that kind of a world, justice and mercy are done. Choices are made out of love rather than fear or greed or jealousy. People are treated fairly as we wish for ourselves to be treated. And there is enough for everyone because as the next line goes, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We learn to share and we take not more than what we deserve. Think about every prayer of joy or concern that we might choose to express. For an end to the war in Ukraine, for the health of a sick child or parent, for the hungry, the addict, the lonely, the depressed, we are making ourselves aware in prayer of the value of one another and the need to care for our relationships. And it is all based in the foundation that God created us for love and we nurture that relationship first. Quite often, though, life doesn't look that way, does it? Because we fall short, we mess up. We damage our relationships with God, with one another, with creation, and we get stuck in our regrets over the ways we've messed up. We fear rejection should we try to make things better. We despair of the task of making things better, thinking that it's too big or that things are too far gone. The Harvard studies teaching about relationships has a corollary. Happiness comes from, or um, unhappiness, comes from relationships that remain broken or that atrophy from lack of attention. So Jesus teaches us to pray another thing, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Prayer helps us to start over. Prayer grounds us in the knowledge that God is one who forgives us again and again and invites us to give that gift to others. Our God is the one who renews broken covenants, who runs to greet the prodigal son and wraps him in arms of forgiveness. It is not the temptations that draw us away from God or the evils of the world that threaten us that we should hold fast to, but forgiveness the chance to start again. This is God's way of life. God forgives us and invites us to forgive one another. And one other thing which I found perhaps most interesting about that Harvard study is the number of people they did not hear from or found it hard to connect with. Not everyone was eager to 
return the calls from the authors of the study or to fill out their surveys and talk about how they were doing. And that lack of responsiveness is a data set all its own. Many people don't want to ask the questions about how they're really doing. And that, too, is the risk of prayer. If we pray in earnest, we may find out that we are not paying attention to wonder, that we are not attending to our relationships, that we are stuck in cycles of regret living in the past. So I caution you, be careful what you wish for if you make the choice to pray. I am convinced that it is the key to the good life. But it may first and on the way take you places you do not wish to go. The good life is not always the easy life. This morning during our communion liturgy, we will pray the Lord's Prayer as we always do, and I plan to lead you through it twice. The first time, I will lead it on my own and invite you to listen. I'll pray it slowly and invite you to pray on your own in places where I pause. And I will invite you to think about these three things I have mentioned this morning. Prayer is call to wonder. It's call to relationships. And it's call to forgiveness. And then I will invite us all to pray it together in the act of comfort we have all come to know. I wonder who will receive the invitation. Amen.